0: If you don't feel well, stop. Stop and talk to somebody, get help. Don't just power through.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Burn Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burn Chef Project. This week's guest is Kirk Howarth, who joins me to talk about his experiences with Lyme's disease and also the impact that that had on his mental and physical health long term. It's a really interesting chat and it's well worth sticking around to the end. It does go on a little bit longer than usual, but we discuss so many different things. I think it's well worth listening to. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors for the next six months, Lamb Western, who have been exemplary in supporting the Burnt Chef project since the get-go. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to keep providing stigma-breaking content. Now, before we get going, Here's a short word
0: from our sponsors. Landwesterner, your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being through potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. Hello, Kirk. How's it going? All right, mate. How
1: are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this morning. No worries. I, uh, I'm as good to catch up it's been, I've been anticipating this chat. I wanted yeah. to, because um, I know that you and I sort of touched base originally when um, we did a chat with Sat Baines a little while ago. Oh, yeah, that. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Ages ago now, lockdown, what was that, 1.0? Yeah,
0: first one wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mate. So much has changed since then, hasn't it? Really? Yeah, it's um, it's insane, isn't it? It's insane. I, I feel like I'm in like some some like trip or something, <laughs> something like that's not happening outside of my body. Some days I'm like happening, like people like, are so like can't believe each other, and it's it's mad, isn't it? It's just like inhumane.
1: Yeah, I mean it's brought out the best in people, but it's also brought out the worst at the same time. Like it's um Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much or how little disregard there is for for other human fellow human beings who are going through the same thing at the moment, hey?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, um yeah, definitely. I mean it it's yeah, it's um it's been a roller coaster and like you said, there is so many positives that have come out of it, but as well um, yeah, I mean there's definitely been struggles for everybody. I think that's humane, isn't it? That I don't think anyone's gone through these year. it's been a year, right? And not had um some tough weeks or or days in that in that period. How are you faring up over this time? Because I take it place has been um I mean, have you been doing takeaways or anything like that at all? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I think it's yeah, it's um I mean, we all have to do it, but I don't think there's many chefs out there working in, you know, that our arena of cooking that wants to do delivery stuff and wants to do all this stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have to just survive with <laughs> a fittest, So you have to just do what you bloody, you know, I've had a few times, I don't want to do this. Uh, I just want to cook for guests and see them smile and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we just got to do what we can to survive, don't we?
1: yeah it's about it's about pivoting but i suppose from me and and from the conversations i've been having from other people and, and it's one that i'll pose to you is have you seen any perhaps whether it's inefficiencies in your previous model before lockdown or have you seen any ways of improving efficiencies moving forward when we eventually get out of this this hellhole
0: um yeah i think i mean with my health battles before all this I've always I had a big awakening then to what's important in life and um, gratitude and these things. And, um, and I think many people will be having that now, um, maybe. Um, so it's definitely like finding a balance and find I've had a lot of like, where do where do you want to be? Where's your perfect? Where are you going to thrive the most? I think. Especially chefs, we are so passionate, we are so driven. And especially when you're in London as you know, us chefs, we all have egos, you know, it's good or bad. We all have that every human has an ego Mm -hmm. and you want to drive to be the best and you want you know, you want to succeed and all these things. But if you're home, if you're if you're not thriving in your environment where you are personally, then no matter how much you achieve in that restaurant where you are. Then you, no matter how many whatever it is you want accolades or just being the best, inside you're not going to be happy. You know, if yeah. you're not feeling good and all these things, um, so yeah, I've just kind of been like tapping into that basically and, and trying to find okay, if the next ten years this is where I'm going to spend my life, then where do I want to be? Is it London? You know, and stuff like that, basically.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's that paradigm shift or perception tilt that this this pandemic has provided to many people and, and it's one thing that we hear a lot of is the fact of I don't necessarily want to be in hospitality, or I don't want to work in catering anymore, but I don't think it's necessarily yeah, yeah. wanting to leave the industry, I think it's wanting to leave the particular way that they're working currently um because we all get in well a lot of us get in this industry or stay in this industry for the passion of food and for the passion of service and everything else and that 's that's that you can 't change it 's like a love but yeah. also at the same time I think that people are now looking at their their lifestyles and going well if my passion is sacrificing my health and my family relationships then is this just a general hospitality brush that we tar with everything or is there a case well actually we can Say to people, you know, stay in hospitality, but go here yeah.
0: or try this. Yeah, definitely. I think there will be like, you know, like every chef will probably have the day. like, fuck this. I'm not doing it anymore or whatever. <laughs> but we all love it so much. Like, you know I mean? Our industry is incredible. Um, I think you've seen like the support, the people in it you know, the way the creative side of people that have adapted in these times is mind-blowing, I think. I mean, one of very few industries that can adapt and just, you know, have them have the strength to just, you know, just keep going and do whatever they can um, to, to do what they love. Yeah,
1: the resilience has been unfathomable. I mean, it's been yeah, absolutely it's
0: insane. It's insane.
1: And that's the thing. And I think there's hope for hospitality. I think certainly once this pandemic you know it starts to die down and once we get the brakes released to trade as normal I think that hospitality as a, an industry will have a fantastic 12 to 24 months but um, you know it's not to say that everyone's going to be on board with that because you know some people perhaps won't be able to make it but I think that there mm. is hope and I think there's a lot of opportunity and we're at the cusp of quite a radical change I think within hospitality as well in terms of how we view it
0: as an industry compared to others yeah yeah definitely um mm. It's yeah, yeah. It's going to be it's going to be super interesting. I think what you will see though is when when things do kind of start opening again or whatever, you're going to see so much camaraderie between chefs. You know, there's going to be so many collaborations to try and raise money. There's going to be so much coming together of people trying to help people. I definitely I definitely see that. You know, so much so many people want to give in this industry for the better good, Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of that
1: yeah definitely the the community and the family side of hospitality
0: is starting to show isn't it really more so than ever yeah it's um it's very very special it's it's i couldn't i couldn't do anything else um it's it's very special so take us back a little
1: bit because i'm i'm intrigued to understand your particular focus is on um, nutrition and obviously how that also benefits well being and mental health, and through your own experiences. So, do you mind just explaining a little bit about how, how sort of that came to be
0: and, and what your experience of that was? Yeah. So, um, I'll try and cut this quite, sh- quite short. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long journey. Um, I'm still on that journey. So, very, I'm, I'm constantly learning. Um, basically, um, I was, you know, from 15, um, I was just so embedded in work like I just I sacrifice everything like I would not even stop for one second to like pick up something to eat and put it in my mouth because I like just wanted to be ready for service or whatever and when you look back on that you know it's alright when you have wisdom now when you get older and you've gone through a, a journey like I am you go how stupid why, why didn't I do that but you didn't know you know it's, and you can't live in regret and all these things um, um, so But basically, um, when I look back, even before my chronic Lyme diagnosis, I always kind of struggle with my health, even from when a very young age, from like nine or 10, I always got run down. I always got ulcers. Um, and I always just went to a doctor and they just said, Oh, it's stress or whatever. whatever, And they give you a prescription, right? And, and off you go. Um, Anyway, so fast forward into the, um, c- cooking time. So yeah, I did not apprenticeship with my dad when I was 16. So I was like 20, did some stages in between. Uh, and then I made a big move to come to London at 19. Um, sorry, 16 to 19. Yeah. So I came to London at 19, which is very, very young rewind, like 10, 12 years ago, because, um, kitchens were a lot harder then, you know, mm. you know, we have developed incredibly, um, since then, um, and it was, I found it very, very hard. I came from being in the north, um, being surrounded by like up, up north, like everyone's, um, it's just a very different atmosphere it was back then. And then when you come to London as a 19 year old and you're getting on the tube and no one looks at you and no one speaks, you know, up north, you jump on a bus and you speak to the granny who you've never met before. And then things you really don't take, you take for granted. And you come to London, I just felt as in some like different country. And I think it is compared to, you know, in the north. It's especially where I was in a little village, you know, in Lancashire, mm. where everybody knows everyone and everyone's mates and all that. And you come to come to London in this competitive nature. Um anyway, so I started working um at the square. Um and I worked, yeah, we were working a lot, I learned a lot. Um, but I was just I'll be honest like i just struggled i struggled and i think uh, anyone that worked with me then could probably see that i always just felt very ill um i struggle i struggle with the hours but i just pushed on and you just got on with it and that mentality of a chef you know you don't show that you're struggling uh, you just push on and i had a bit of extra pressure because it's like oh your dad's you know you nigel our son and this sort of thing um but anyway, I just got on with it, kept my mouth shut, and just kept working. Anyway, I did um just under a year there and then I left and I was I was pretty run down, so I came back up north um for a few weeks and then I was like I'm not done with I just didn't feel like um I was I was done with London and achieve what I wanted to achieve. And when I look back, that's probably again ego. Um and I then started working for Shane Osborne at Pieditaire. Um, which I did uh, just under two years for, um, and I loved it. We had amazing time again. Just worked crazy, crazy hours, but you, can, you love it, you know. You work, you sleep, and you do your washing, and that's all it was back then, mm. you know. And you just eat a donut kebab at three a.m. on the way home on a Saturday <laughs> night, you know. And that's when people look at me now and look at my food and look at how I speak. They don't know where uh, I, I can I can relate to to everybody because I've been the opposite. I've been the polar opposite to who I am now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I used to live off Red Bulls. I used to drink coffee. You know, I used to smash a through barocas and work 18 hours a day and think that was cool. Do you know what I mean? I've done it. I've done that and I've seen it. And um, I've learned the hard way because um, after that, basically, I was pretty, you know, I'd done three years in London then. And anyone that does three years in London, whether you're super strong or not, it takes its toll. It's very, it's very intense, you know, too much in style level. Um, And it's very stressful on the body um but i loved it i learned loads um so after that i um i spent um, a short time at the french laundry with thomas keller um i did a free uh three month uh stage and then after that i kind of i learned i learned a lot there but i just didn't it wasn't the place that i wanted to kind of spend the next few years um a few friends in australia was like come to australia Kurt. you know you can." You can work 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 good hours and you can you know have a bit of a life. So I was like, okay, sod it, I'll go there for a year. You know, I'll have a bit of fun, but also work in a good kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved over there and started working um, for Mike Best. I don't even if you know Mark Best at Mark Restaurant. Um, he's an incredible character. we had a tiny little team, like five or six of us, like we started at eleven o'clock, finished around twelve. We didn't do we only did lunch service twice a week, which a lot of English people, which a lot of English restaurants are doing now. Yeah, yeah. Back like seven years ago, it was like, wow, that's that's so cool. Do you know what I mean? And then we all and we all sat down for staff lunch, which everybody does now, but seven eight years ago they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some did, and as as more people implemented it in the restaurants, a lot more people started to do it, and it's an amazing thing. Um, and I started, yeah, and it just felt um, I was like, wow. Anyway, I met my girlfriend at the time and ended up staying, and I worked at Key for a further two years. But towards the end of my time at um, Mark. I um, I was asleep in the middle of the night and I woke up and my hand literally like tripled in size and was bright red. And it was, you know, <laughs> my fingers were huge. Anyway, I went, I went to the doctors and they just said, oh, I think it's a spider bite. Give me seven days antibiotics and, um, and off you go sort of thing. Um, so I did I did that and I just carried on living my normal life. And then I, I, I got, I was re- severely into running. I used to run like 30 kilometers a week, again, pushing my body, pushing my body. It was the typical Kurt way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, moved, I um, after this, I started to get severe symptoms, like very severe, but nobody could see it. Only I could feel it, which was a very lonely place to be. And again, going back seven years ago, there was not, much about like invisible illness, mental health, you know, if you look fine, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um and I started just having like the most chronic headaches ever. And it wasn't like, oh, you've got you know, got a bit of an headache for an hour. I'll take some ibuprofen and it's gone, and it doesn't come back. This was just from morning till night, morning till night. And then every few days I get a new symptom. So they just start piling on where like some some days I couldn't stop weeing, so I would be going to the bathroom like fourteen times a day. And you can imagine that in the kitchen, where you feel embarrassed because people think, "Oh, this guy's been working or whatever." But I was like, "What? What is wrong with me?" And you're yeah. trying to like hide it from people because you're embarrassed. And then, and then I started getting like memory loss. So I started to like make mistakes that I would never make before. Um, and I tried to the only way I can describe what Lyme feels like is that there's like a ghost inside your body and it kind of controls you and your movements and how you do things and make like basically fuck, like messes you up. Um, it's very hard to explain and it's, it's so, um, so debilitating. Um, so, you know, you'd be running a pass and, you know, you know, it's like anything, if you do, if you do your job um, and you trained at a very high level for many, many years, and you start making mistakes that you never make before. You start going, hold on. Like once or twice, it's fine because we all make mistakes. But you start doing the same things, you know. If we got, if I was running the pass, I'd get four plates out if I was going on a table of five. Mm. And then I'd read out the checks and I couldn't remember them. And I'd, I'd I'd do the orders and one of the chefs would pass me my orders and I'd forget what the orders, I'd forget the order, I'd, forgot, I'd forget to put them in. Or I'd only read out half of them on the phone. And I'd be like... This isn't me. This isn't... Do you know what I mean? And and, and these sort of things... And it started getting worse and worse and worse. And I got to a point where, i never forget it, I woke up one morning and I was just in the most severe pain I have ever imagined in my life. I mean, I couldn't even put any pressure on my legs. Um, It was like having the worst... It was like having a hangover times by a million. (laughs) Oh, mate... And it and, I, and it just never went. And by this point, I'd move. Um, I was at Key Restaurant. I moved then, um, because you know, like I, I, in between all this, stuff, I was going to so many doctors. I was having all these scans on my brain. There's nothing wrong with you. So you think you're going crazy? Because I'm like, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe it's just stress then. Mm. And you just keep going, and and, and it's so hard to just keep going anyway so I was at Key then and um, I never forget it I used to wrap I used to put um I used to cover my legs in heat rub and I used to wrap them up with bandages I used to just go to work and I don't know how I did it because I could hardly walk up the stairs I remember like the the key changing rooms from the floor downwards um I used to have to hold the railings to like get up the stairs yeah you'd be in service for god knows how long yeah, feet. but yeah, I'll be doing service, yeah. Oh, God. And um, so I was doing all this and I was, so I was at King, I was doing the same things, like forgetting stuff and all this stuff. And then you've got like 18-year-old commies looking at, you know, someone that, that's, you know, that's very experienced, like myself at that time, making mistakes that even they wouldn't make. And then it becomes really embarrassing. Mm. Um, so um, by this point, it was like, was getting so ill that my dad was like Kurt you're going to have to come home you can't keep messing around you know these doctors were just not taking me seriously anyway fast forward I came home um, we spent so much time um, doctor to doctor so over like 56 doctors something crazy like this specialists like spent so much money like crazy over like 40 grand Um, and this is what people don't understand like Lyme is not Lyme, Lyme is huge, but it's not on the mainstream. Like there are millions suffering with Lyme, millions and millions, and you get no support, no no help, no financial support. It's not recognised on the NHS apart from if you get it early, you get antibiotics, and that's kind of it. Especially chronic Lyme disease, not not acknowledged. Um, so I um, yeah, I came on, and I was like. At this point i didn't know what i had so i was like right i have to still keep i have to still like do what i'm i have to still do things i have to still you know try even i was in pain every day i was like okay and then i saw an article where, uh sat just launched a four day a week thing so i was like that could i could maybe maybe i could manage that four days and i've got three days to rest um and this i was still in denial by this point how bad i was though mm. because i was just i didn't want to quit cooking <laughs> My dad was like trying to get me to like stop for years, um, and I didn't listen to him. And then so I went to SATs and I tried, but um, and SAT was amazing to me. Uh, but it got so bad that you know you can yeah, I was going to A um, and E. He doesn't even know this, but because I was at this point, I was didn't know what I had. So I was still dealing with a lot of stuff inside. But I was going to A and E in Nottingham like every single night after work at two a.m and having brain scans and having all these scans and saying like, there's something wrong with me. Um, I was going to the doctors every single, on my days off and they used to laugh at me saying, oh, it's him again. He's got, oh, you've got a new symptom, have you? Because I just, my, my, my symptoms would just keep coming on and migrate. So, you know, I'd get like severe groin pain sometimes. Like saying you're worried and start going, shit, like, what's wrong with my groin now? <laughs> yeah. what's, what's wrong? With and then I'd be like Googling Alzheimer's disease, like, because that's what it felt like. And, and then I'd, I, you know, like my fatigue was so bad. So I'd just like be so tired that, like, you just feel like you've never slept. You haven't rested. You just, you never feel like, you just don't feel good ever. And it's so hard because when you say those words, the people then get thinking of it as negative. But if you are experiencing those things and you're just saying how you feel, then it can't be negative because it's just how someone feels yeah yeah it's not like you're moaning about your life like oh i haven't got a car i haven't got this i haven't got an house do you know what i mean it's very very different you're just saying like how bad i feel inside um hmm. uh, yeah so um i did nine months with sat and i just said to him and he sat even put me on less hours um so i did like the breakfast shift and i worked till like six o'clock because I, my legs were giving way i couldn't like i couldn't literally hardly like it got so bad that I, my balance was really bad. So I'd like walk through a door, but I'd bang the sides. And it sounds mental. You're probably like listening to this and going, "This can't be." It it can't. Like it, it really, it's that bad. Um, but you you constantly, as well, your brain's constantly trying to like not do it because you because. Obviously, you don't want people to like laugh at you or whatever, or, or you're clumsy or whatever, but it's not you're clumsy, it's this thing inside you. Like, so you just drop things or you just do silly things that you would never ever do. Um, it must have been so, just set-
1: so isolating, like to, to constantly, to continually go to the doctors and say, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. I, I'm, I'm I'm not myself here. And not only yes. having to deal with all the physical exhaustion and the stress and the pain that you're going through, but also having to deal with the mental exhaustion and people telling you now you're fine or you're a hypochondriac or, you know, just go away and come back again in seven days if it's better. Like I can't imagine, I can't even begin to imagine
0: how hard that must have been. Oh yeah. And they tell you you're depressed and I'm like, no, I'm not fucking depressed, but I want to go to work and not be in agony. I want to, I love my job. I'm so grateful, like for the little things i have in life, like, all I want to do is go to work and cook and be normal. That's all I want. And I want to be able to go on a run on my day off. And I want to be able to feel good. That's all I flipping want, do you know what mm. I mean? Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, it I got so bad. And it, the last straw was, and I don't even think Sat knows this either, but um, I fell asleep in my car when I was driving to one of the breakfast shifts. And I drove it into the back of it. I was only going slow. I was going, like, 10 mile an hour in, like, a little traffic thing. But I dozed off kind of thing, and I hit the back of this big lorry, and i was late for work then but i was too embarrassed to say like what really happened um so i just took it that i was late for work um and that was the final straw where i was like right i can't i can't carry on anymore i, ju- I was just in so much um so much struggle so i, I said to sat I, like, I can't do it anymore i'm going to have to i'm going to have to leave so i left and i was like my job now is to find out what the hell is wrong with me so i and it was really tough you know because i had to move back in with my parents and I had to take a year out, and I had to, um, and I just s- tried to speak to as many people as I could, join forums, research, um, and it was it was actually a friend of a friend that watched the news, and there's someone talking about Lyme disease, and they rang me and said, "You need to re- you need to turn the news on, and listen to this guy. He sounds exactly like what you were talking about." Um, and as soon as I, as soon as I googled it, I knew straight away. I didn't need any doctor to tell me. You know, I didn't know, I knew, you know, when your heart just knows, your intuition knows, and I just knew. Um, and then I went and got tested, and the test on NHS is 95% negative, and this is another reason why I've actually stopped speaking out for the last few years, just because I kind of wanted to detach this label of this chef with Lyme disease, you know. I don't think it's good for the subconscious mind, um, but I used yeah, yeah. to do a lot um i do i do quite a bit but not as much as i used to because because of that reason and i wanted to just focus on me and my healing and stuff um and i think when you carry on talking about it, you're you're then attached to that illness and i've never really wanted that
1: you define yourself by it don't you which is a, com- a yeah. common thing and it's the same and with mental it's... illness people say i'm depressed or i'm yeah. all, you know but depression is something that in many cases you can get over and it may never come back um And so, but if you keep referring to yourself in that way, like, oh, I'm a depressed person, then you've, you've just, you basically signed yourself off until you can get over
0: that. Exactly. And then you're kind of giving yourself some sort of label. And I do believe, you know, I've done a lot of uh, mind therapy and stuff where once you do start giving yourself that label, it's harder to heal because the brain and the body are so connected. Mm. Um, but yeah, basically the 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 test is ninety five percent negative. So there's so many people getting tested with so many symptoms like me, who the doctors said your Lyme disease test is negative. So there's nothing wrong with you. So you know you just have to carry on your life. And there's so many people that just say okay to that. And I've never been an okay man. I've never been a follower. I've always challenged the narrative. Uh, I've always I don't know. I've just always been that disruptor that just hold on a minute just I've always just questioned things a little bit more and um I was like I'm not having it I'm not having it so I started doing more research I started to read this that the NHS test is blah 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 anyway so I found a private um health clinic in uh, Hertfordshire called Breakspear Medical and they are a, a Lyme clinic and um that was this is when I had a huge awakening of number one how expensive it is and number two how serious it is um, when I got my, I got tested there and they send your test results to America and Germany, they're proper lime lime labs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they cost 3000 pounds just for tests. Right, like, sounds... So, you, so you can just imagine like number one, how many people can't afford that, which I was lucky that I had savings at that time and I had family support. Um, yeah, so I got tested and they came back and I was so high in the main, the main infection, which is Borrelia. But there's over hundreds of co-infections that come with Lyme disease the longer you have it. And chronic Lyme disease is not recognized on the NHS. If you go to a GP and say you've got chronic Lyme disease, they'll laugh at you. It will literally, like, because they don't know anything about it. So chronic is when you have suffered with it for many, many years and you haven't treated it because you didn't know what it was. So I've been, like, by this point, I'm, like, four years down the road and I, I haven't treated anything. I didn't know what it was. So then it turns chronic. So that's when it's harder to get. And what it does is it crosses the blood-brain barrier. So that answers the questions about um, the memory stuff. Right. And since, yeah, and which is, this is a very interesting thing, right? So they've done an autopsy on on um, on Alzheimer's, um, people that died of, died of Alzheimer's, right? And 95, 95% of those people tested positive for Lyme, Borrelia spirochetes in the brain. Well, where does yeah, that come so, from? So the thing is, with Lyme, it can it can come from, it can come from, um, it can come from uh, spiders, ticks. They're even saying mosquitoes now, fleas. Um, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a yeah. I could talk for, for months about Lyme. It's it's such um. It's, it's such a rabbit hole of, of information that's not out there. Um, but yeah, and so you can. And the thing is, there will be millions of well. It's fact they say that a lot of the population will have Lyme in their body, right? We all have viruses, bad ones, like mm. just, just like bacteria. depends how your immune system is functioning, because we that's dependent on whether you, whether you get whether whether these things get in or not. Yeah, yeah. So you could get bitten, right, on holiday when you're a three year old with your parents. And then when you're 30, you could go through like a really emotional, traumatic divorce, let's say, and you become severely depressed and you stop eating and your immune system comes down and then boom, that Lyme can attack you. It sits there dormant. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that doctors will, will, will not say um, because they'll say, oh, you need to have proof that you've got a bite. But that's, that's the thing. You can get bitten and then you can get your symptoms five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later it's proof I know loads of people that this has happened to. It's like a maze. So so effectively, I mean I've I've had tick bites before in the past. I live in the country.
1: So um yeah, yeah even a couple of years ago and the bloody thing got stuck in me. But you know, so there's a potential that and, and not it's not to say that every bite that you get carries limes is no, you know exactly. especially, That's true also. It tends to come from um livestock and specifically things like deer if they've been attached to other animals at some stage is is that correct
0: in saying Uh, yeah and deer parks are the worst places
1: yeah but it's effectively then if we were to I mean I don't know much and I'm sure you'll come on to explaining about you know how to manage Lyme and and why you've gone down the route in terms of nutrition like you have but is there a treatment for Lyme that we could like suddenly take that would you, know, you go to the doctor and say, look, I might not have Lyme's disease. I've been bitten in the past. Could you treat me for X, Y, and Z? Or would they just do the same
0: as they did to you? And sort of same? <laughs> go away. Well, if you don't have any symptoms, then there isn't really point treating, really. Um, unless you, say, you got tested and you're 100% um, had it. Um, in terms of treatment, like I say, if you get Lyme early, so say say you get bitten today and you're... And you go to the doctors tomorrow. You can get antibiotics, yeah. Which, which we've been trying. I work with a few Lyme disease charities. We've been trying to change this for, for like three years because it's only two to four week. Two to four weeks. Normally they just give you two weeks. Now you need six weeks. You need a minimum of six weeks to kill, like, to get that Borrelia, you know, out of control. And that's when you've been bitten, like, very, very soon, and you've got to treat it very, very quick, hmm. very, very quick, because it, 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 go- it attacks your whole body so fast. Um in terms of chronic Lyme disease, there are loads of treatments out there, all that cost a lot of money. Um, but you don't know if you're gonna get better or not. So you're like a guinea pig basically. So there's huge risks. You know, like I did um I did a treatment in Cyprus called ozone therapy, um, which at this point was like a lot of people getting better from it. And at this point I was in a really bad place. Like I remember, I mean, my sister saying like, I'm ready to go. Like I didn't want to live anymore. Um, and I went and did um, a treatment in Cyprus called um, yeah, ozone therapy, um, which cost me 10,000 pounds, which was for a month. And then after, when I came back, I ended up worse. So I'd not only spent that money, but I took the mental risk, I took the physical risk Um, I'd put all that effort in and sacrifice to then. I was so ill after that treatment for a good 18 months. I was having seizures at home. Um, I was so suicidal. I couldn't even like walk over a bridge outside because I just thought about jumping. Um, it was really, really, really difficult.
1: I I I can't even begin. To imagine you i mean everyone's had like a cold or a flu or you know a virus and sometimes even hangovers sometimes you think god this is never going to end but then you yeah. wake up the next day and you feel slightly better and then slowly you get better and better yeah. but to have that
0: feeling and drink and, a and, Luca said and you feel better
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you know um, take a couple of paracetamol and then you start to the edge comes off of it but uh to wake up feeling already a hundred times worse and not feeling any time any better for that period of time uh, Mate, I, I I want to say I'm yeah, sorry, it's, but it's no good to anyone, is it, really?
0: No, and it's no – you know, I've never been – and, again, probably because I'm so stubborn and you have to – you know, I'd spent – took, it took me years to actually let people help me and stuff because I was so, like um, – yeah, you, you don't want – especially <laughs> – I think it's a bit of being a chef, and it? You don't want sympathy. You don't want people to, like, feel sorry for you. And so I've never been after that. Um, but I just – um when I realised what it was, and I think that was like five years ago, and um, I started, yeah, I spoke out about it basically. I think I did a post on Facebook, and, and it was very scary then. I mean, it's so good now. So many people were speaking out to struggle because what we have to do, and that can help so many people. Um, like six years ago, it's very right on a Facebook post how, how it's felt for the last four years or whatever. Um. And it was, yeah, it was amazing how much, how many people like came out and supported me or chefs in Australia, like, okay, God, I knew that there was something wrong with you. Like I saw it in your eyes or whatever, and you should have just spoke to me and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that was, um, that was kind of like the first time I um, started speaking out about it and then, um when I moved, so I've kind of like gone forward in terms of in terms of the journey because basically, when I moved in with my dad, I started to, and I found out what it was. When I was at this clinic in Hertfordshire, um, their treatment is IV antibiotics for a whole month, uh, five days a week, and it's six thousand pound a month. Um, and I just got a vibe there that something didn't feel right. And it was just the money, you know the the money. It was just like, yeah, it didn't sit right with me anyway. So I said to them, which was very brave back then because I didn't know anything about Lyme. They were all like forcing on me, like if basically, if you don't take this treatment, you you know you're gonna you're gonna potentially die, and all this stuff. Didn't say those words, but like trying to put the pressure on in terms of taking this treatment. Anyway, I just said I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna think about it. Um. Because it was everything had been so quick. Like that whole that week I just found out I had Lyme and I drove down and I got the test and all that. Um, so um I started to join Facebook groups and I started to like go, oh my God, read these stories. And it was just like mine. And I just like all of a sudden, I'm like from being so alone for six years, going, Oh my God, there are so many people like me. Yeah, community. You know, like thirty, forty thousand 40,000 people just in London, you know, on these Facebook groups, talking about how they're suffering and what they're doing and how, you know, like all this stuff. Anyway, so I started to ask all the questions, started to speak to people, um, and I started to read about antibiotics and the antibiotics um, smashing the the gut microbiome, the good bacteria. Yeah. Anyway, and then I actually... I got a friend of a friend who was in Scotland who she had Lyme and she was like, Kirk, if I were you, I'd try natural stuff first. And then you can always do that. But, you know, money wise as well, you, you better, you know, um, you better, you better, you know, go trying the other things first, build your immune system up and see how you react. So that's when I came started to research food and again, like I say, I'm not – this is why I'm not a preachy food person because I've been that guy that's actually wings at 2 a.m. and I've done all that shit. Um, but I started to look at food about, like, oh, my God, why has no one said anything like this? Why have doctors never in four years talked to me about what I'm putting in my body? Yeah, yeah. I started to, like, research these – you know, because my body was highly inflamed. started to research, like, sugar, for instance. I mean, if you look at sugar on the body, it's so bad – and on the mind like it's so so bad it it's the most addictive it's, i think they've done tests on it like it's the most addictive drug in in the world. like uh, next to cocaine or heroin i think it is and it's it's so addictive because it's just in our system from when we're younger and we just get addicted about knowing i must and our, i that
1: i was gonna say sorry i must admit from going. personal experience you know what it's like at christmas when you get well i mean personally you get surrounded by chocolate right I might not ever touch yeah. uh, like a high level of sugar or chocolate ever but come christmas chocolate comes and you're like oh yes yeah, you know it's okay by the end of christmas you're like fuck, i could really do with a chocolate bar right now or i could do with something sweet yeah but once it's, it's got you it's, it's got you once it's got you that's it and you can see why people are drinking like bottles of coke and all this sort of stuff on a regular basis because yeah it is it i mean so it's, it's an un, un or naturally occurring sugars are obviously not, you know, naturally occurring from fruit, for example, but like man-made sugars are,
0: are, it's
1: the devil's food.
0: Yeah, it is. And I I do get it, you know, again, as well, not preachy. I mean, everyone, you know, if you go out for a dinner, if you go out for dinner, you know, like some of the best desserts in the world, or most of the best desserts in the world are made from sugar, aren't they? Yeah. Um, And I get it, you know, it's all, it's all in all this stuff, diets, all in, um, You've got to just have balance, you know. You shouldn't be smashing loads of sugar every night. But if you have, you know, a dessert on a Saturday night, then that's, you know, it's... God, you've got to live, haven't you, at the same time. So I do get mm-hmm. that. But basically, I just opened up a whole can of worms for me and I started. then I started to, like, research all these things, like dairy and the mucus on the body and all these things, um, how red meat was causing inflammation for my blood type and all these all these things that I was like, wow, this is like, and I started to get actually, I took, I was like, I'm going to turn this into a positive and it's going to become, and I say this to people like, especially when you're a chef, you, you spend, you give your whole body, um, everything, your passion, your energy, your love, everything to that plate of food, um, to somebody else. That beautiful plate of food to somebody else. That's what we do as cooks, right? And then that person that's cooking that food gets nothing. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I reversed that energy and was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna treat my body like I'm cooking for someone else. So I, I was living with my dad then. I just started like, and I never juiced before then, you know. I just started juicing loads. I started to read about like um, how important it is to have less pesticides on food, which I never knew before, and how important organic it is, and all these sort of things and um, I was just like making soups without adding butter and I was like wow this is delicious. I was cooking like cabbage and coconut oil. I was like, wow, different sort of delicious, you know, because since I've been a cook, you know, it's classical in, in the majority of restaurants, you know, you'll turn that piece of fish and you'll or turn that piece of cabbage, you'll whack a load of butter in, you'll baste it. And it's yeah. a special <laughs> thing as a chef, isn't it. We can all relate to it. I'm not saying it's not delicious because it is. And I just found a sense of different direction in cooking and a different deliciousness. Um, and that's where I kind of started um, to explore that sort of food. And at this point, I was doing – so I was, I was doing – I stopped. I didn't drink a lot then anyway, but I completely quit alcohol. Um, and I started doing um, a herbal therapy through a practitioner. And I started to do a, a thing called bioresonance, which basically treats pathogens on a, on a frequency level um it's very very interesting um and i saw a guy in liverpool like that and he was curing do- he was curing dogs with lyme disease on this machine
1: this through this is through as in frequency exactly. as like, go on as sorry in, as in sound because I'm i'm familiar with the concept of the fact that you know whether or not it's widely accepted but we as human beings our atoms resonate at a certain frequency and we're made yeah. up of we're made up of atoms right so yeah. we are vibrating yeah we're energy and yeah. i mean we we once we get onto this subject you know you kiss goodbye in the next three hours because it is actually very interesting yeah. and some people might it's incredible believe it's hocus pocus but yeah. so free, the frequency therapy you're talking about is is it sound
0: based or literally just like frequency waves that... yeah it's fre- it's it's frequency waves it's all pathogens have frequencies um so Um, I mean, I've got one at home here and I have basically a a buckler and I can treat anything on it. So I can put it in my frequency machine, number 312, and it can treat cold sores. It can treat Lyme disease. It can treat depression. It can treat all sorts of things. Um, And then what they do is the end. Well, I got, by this point, I got 70% better in nine months. I was running again. If you talk to people, yeah, like you say, well, people think, oh, but it's bullshit or whatever. But when you see people' life change through these machines, and you with your own eyes, like I saw a lady in Liverpool that was in a wheelchair; she'd been so ill, and this machine gave her a life back. Then you you you're ignorant if you don't give it a go, or you're ignorant if you say, oh, it's as Parker, so it's bullshit. Because I, I believe, if I see evidence, then it's, it's there's something there. Yeah, yeah, and even if it was hocus pocus, it's working. Yeah, and so what if you if it you know? And the thing is, not one thing will work for everybody. That's the no. thing, you know. So people, for instance, some people with Lyme, it doesn't work. It's never worked for them. So then they'll go on Facebook and go, "Oh, it's a lot of bullshit. It doesn't work" or whatever. But that's just their experience.
1: Yeah, and everyone it's is the same. Different. It's
0: like diets as well, isn't
1: it? Like one diet may work for one person, but it's not going to work for necessarily for someone else. Someone might be more tolerant to carbs, someone might be less less tolerant to carbs. You know, it's and every single body, whilst we're all built biologically the same way, there's
0: minute minuscule differences in 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 our in our makeup and our genetics. A hundred percent. And if we look at Western medicine, and I've nothing against a lot of it. But because some things are amazing, you know, antibiotics for, for certain things have been game changers. Um, but when you look at how they treat people, they don't treat individuals. They they got a one they got a one trick pill and they give it to hundreds of thousands of millions of people with mm-hmm. all different genetics, all different immune systems, all different blood types, all different emotional traumas, all different all these different things, but they're not taken into account. So when right. you start to question these things like and you know like you just said it it's the same it's the same with medicine as it is with diet it's the same right
1: yeah exactly it's so like intolerances again you know that's that's something or um what am i talking about allergies you know again not everyone has the same allergy i'm particularly allergic to things like dust and when you start sneezing when you get to a dusty house people yeah, are like yeah. you're a fanny what's going on but for me it's that's, really bad Yeah. Yeah. My eyes water, my head starts pounding and it's just dust. It's, it's something that's around everywhere, but it, Mm. as you say, it's, uh, it's unique to everyone. And there's as a, as equal as the illness or the affliction is unique. Also there is a unique preventative cause and effect for it, you know?
0: Yeah. And I just think, you know, like, um, and I mean, I was very probably, yeah. I mean, when I made that decision to – because when I look now with what I know, I, you know, it's it, it probably seems easy, but I think the one of the big things for me is we are so reliant on somebody else to fix us. You know, it's – and I'm not saying that that's on all things, you know. Um, antidepressants have helped so many people, probably saved their lives or whatever else, but so many people – we don't want to take. We don't want to take control back. You know, and I found when I found all these years of these doctors telling me how I feel and how I'm fine and how I'm that, and I'm thinking, this guy's never met me before, and I'm giving him full control and full yes or no's to what I do. When I knew how ill I was inside. Yeah, yeah. So take control back and be my own be my own manager of my own health. And that's basically what I did. Um and it was scary, really scary. Especially when you got like, you know, especially when your pet pa- your parents from a different generation. They're like, listen to the doctor, do what he says. Oh, you know, better go to this appointment. But I was getting so angry. I mean, I, I remember the last appointment I kept when I was I was at Sats and I came to London. I was so angry. I was I was crying in in the office because like you just don't get it you don't realize how bad it is mm. um and that was the end where i was like dad you know i had to fight my dad i was like dad i'm done here i'm done i've i've spent enough time they're not getting me anywhere every time i go to the doc go to these specialists they haven't passed the information on to the new specialist and they just you have to tell your whole story again which as you can imagine this is a very short version of it <laughs> Um, takes hours when they want to know dates, times, everything how it happened in what order, and it was just causing me so much stress. Um, so yeah, uh, but basically, when I got, I got so much better. My my friend in Australia booked me a flight to come and see him, and we did a lime dinner for um, to raise money for lime sufferers in Australia, and. I felt like I was strong enough to do it. But at this point, I didn't know that much about Lyme. I was only like nine months into my journey. So I kind of was like, oh, I can never get worse now or whatever. Me being me, stubborn Kirk. My dad told me not to fly to Australia. Anyway, I flew to Australia and um, I was so ill. I spent the whole three weeks in Australia in bed. All my symptoms came back like three times as worse. Um, My mate had to spoon feed me in bed. I couldn't literally lift my, my arms up. Oh, God. So we spent the whole three weeks in Australia trying to get me strong enough to fly back. So my mates were like getting me massages and booking me whatever they can to see these therapies and all this stuff just to get me strong enough so I could fly back. Um, I flew back and then it happened again, but even worse. I spent like six months bed bound then. My dad had to like carry me from the car, from the bed into the car. I couldn't move my legs. Uh, And that's basically when I booked the Cypress thing because I was so, so bad. And I was that's when I was really suicidal because I'd done all that work. I'd spent a whole year of getting better. And I was like, yes, I'm getting somewhere. And that's when I was just like, oh my, I can't deal with this anymore. Um, So I did the Cypress thing and I came back and then, yeah, I'd spent about 18 months severely ill. And then since then, I've been so scared to then try another treatment like that then I've just kind of been working on myself and going back to the diet, going back to the things that I'd done before, um, and trying to manage it more now until something more, more significant that I would say, okay, I'll risk trying that. Um, but at the moment there isn't one of those. Um, so yeah, I'm just in the phase now where I manage it. I I still deal with a lot of pain and the brain frogs come back and stuff like that. But, um, just kind of yeah, just kind of it's a fault trying to work on myself as much as I can and uh, try and keep positive. Basically.
1: Mate I mean speechless, which is a rarity for for me. Like I, I half expected you to sort of finish that with, you know, yes, and this this was the this was the be all and end all and this is how I'm now better and I'm back to my normal self, but you're still managing still managing this on a Perhaps not as severe as it
0: was back then, but you're still managing it on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, it's um, and I say, it's, you know, I make it look like it's nothing, but if say I give my day to day symptoms with someone that's never had it before, they would they wouldn't know what's hitting. But because you've dealt with so much for seven years, you become you become strong enough to be able to deal with it. You have to, otherwise, you don't. You just become you're just in a dark place the whole time. Resilience. So, you know, yeah, mental strength is just like you have to be yeah, it's non stop you just have to keep believing you're gonna gonna get full better, keep doing what you can, keep doing those things to keep positive and 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 yeah, that's it, I constantly treating myself, constantly reading, constantly try like I'm starting a parasite protocol in um at the end of this month which is a 6 weeks protocol. Um so that will be pretty intense and I'm hoping that will give me some leverage um and some symptom relief. Um so yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey. Thank you for
1: uh, I mean thank you for sharing that and um, I haven't rambled
0: on too much.
1: <laughs> no, not I mean I I may honestly it's been interesting to to hear um, because you, you know, I'm familiar with limes purely on the basis that if you get a target come up, then you should go and see a doctor, and you know, and those sort of signs. But no one ever explains to you the chronic side of it, and no one explains the journey, and you know, the mental, emotional, and financial distress that you have to go through just to be able to take it seriously. And still, yet yeah, there's no there's no one out there who says this is this here will make you better. Use this. It's a case of like borrowing things. From various different sources and learning as much as you can so yeah, you
0: know, yeah and you're constantly gambling you're gambling your money all the time it's madness
1: and i know that um i've been looking because you started as a chef's wellness yes yeah about what was that a year and a half ago was that longer now
0: yeah yeah a year and a, about 18 months um yeah it was just it was just getting booming and just getting you know really special when this pandemic started so i was pretty good um but yeah, that's why I that's why I set it up. Um, is if we talk more, we can help more. And if if I have seen someone that really helped me or I know something that could maybe help someone else, then they could be in that room and it could change their life. Me just going, Oh, maybe try this machine. Oh my god, it's like helping me so much, Kirk. That's that's all it can be. And I think similar to what you're doing with these podcasts and your work is if We all have a story, we all have a voice, and we've all struggled with something in our life. And if we can share that struggle and it can change someone else's life, then then we we should all do it. We should all speak more.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think it is that's the crux though, isn't it? It's a being able to, as an industry which is historically extremely stoic and you know, very masculine, whether you're male or female within this industry. It's about breaking down those barriers, and even now, like you and I, talk about our journeys quite openly because we want to encourage others to feel comfortable to do the same. But as people who message and go, "Oh, you're know, so courageous being able to speak openly. I'd never do that," and the stigma and the shame attached to mm. just just showing any sign of weakness, not necessarily with mental illness, um, is so strong within the industry that there's still a lot of work to do, and the more people who can share their journeys the bigger the collective and it soon outweighs the ones who perhaps don't feel comfortable um yeah you know it's building a community isn't
0: it yeah and when it comes to you know like i said before when it comes to mental health there's there's so there's minimal on the mainstream information um about all these things that can affect it you know and when i started when i started my mates up north, like, used to think I was crazy because I used to come and I'm like, oh, I've read about this or whatever. And some of it I said, like, five years ago, is becoming, t- you know, it's, it's happened and it's and it's true. Just certain things. And, you know, my mate. all oh, my mates like, Kurt, you need to write a blog about this. Nobody knows about this stuff. And that's why I was like, oh, I can't believe on writing a blog. But that's basically why I started Chefs Wellness because like, it's a platform to share things, you know, and, and ask questions. Like, okay, so... Mental health and chronic illness has gone through the roof in the last five five years, five, ten years. So why? Why has that happened? Not, okay, I've got this issue, go and get a drug. Why has it happened? And can we change certain things to alleviate that? We know that environments, you know, for instance, you know, if you, if, you, if you live by the ocean, for instance, there's been millions of studies, you live by the ocean where there's less radiation from Wi-Fi and stuff like that, of way less anxiety. Than you do if you live in a city, and less stress.
1: Yeah, uh, but the thing I find complicated about mental mental illness is that there isn't again. There's no one quick fix. Like I speak to business owners and and large hotel chains, and they say, "Right, you know, we've identified mental health as an issue within our business. How are you going to fix it?" And I'm like, "It could be fifty different things that's causing that within the business, and it might be minor tweaks to some and major tweaks to the others." But it's like you know. We live in a culture now that's that's fast paced it's toxic. our diet is wrong. We value um, extrinsic motivation more than intrinsic and and for those who are unfamiliar, extrinsic is how many likes have I got on Facebook? What's my watch look like? How fast is my car going? You know how big is my house? How good do I look? How many accolades have I got? Whereas intrinsic Mm. is all about how you feel and what makes a difference to you. Like, what? How much can you learn? Do you enjoy your creativity? Can you get in flow states? And all of these things they may sound inconsequential on their own, but put together, when you're not eating right, you're in environments that perhaps aren't. You know, we're we're breathing in more pollution. We're living with things like radiation. We're not looking after ourselves mentally because we're focusing on the wrong things. We're so far removed from where we were 30,000 years ago. We are the furthest away from the human beings that we're meant to be in order to be healthy and fulfilled. Yeah. That, that, is there any wonder? And, you know, it's yeah. it's fighting against all of this and going back to simpler times, isn't it really?
0: Yeah. but. <laughs> technology is going to, you know, it's only going to get, it's only going to get more prevalent. And that, that does scare me a little bit. Um, Because uh, there are incredible positives from social media and technology and stuff, but there are some very dark negatives as well. And some people just can't handle it, you know, and, um, and yeah, um, it's how we manage that. And again, looking at where you thrive as an individual and finding finding that finding that place i think of where you thrive um definitely uh, go on
1: no i was gonna say there sometimes there is no quick fix but you have to try these things like i don't know for me social media i rely upon social media to drive the message and drive the communication of the business and to connect with more people and it's a necessary evil because i can honestly hand on heart say that If it wasn't for the Burnt Chef project, I would not be on social media. It completely and utterly ruins my mental health because I feel like it owns me. Mm. Um, And that's not just the main cause. It's also the fact that, like, similarly to yourself, I'm addicted to work. I'll go easily from six o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night drinking only a minute amount of water, plenty of coffee and not eating because I'm just I have to be providing the best value. I don't want to put it down. But then two or three days of that, that's all it takes, three days of working like that and I am Hmm. a broken person and then I have to stop and pull back. But um, you know, it's about identifying these these unhealthy habits within yourself and it could just be like, is it caffeine? Or it could be, am I taking drugs, drinking regularly, having late nights, you know, and eating fried chicken all the time. You know, it's different for everyone.
0: Yeah, and I think God. I mean, if there's any message anybody that's listening to this, um, my biggest message to people is the word called prevention. Like, when you're healthy, you take so much for granted, like so so much. I mean, you can have you can have everything right. You can have the best cars, the biggest mansion, you can have a free mansion star restaurant, you know, whatever you want. But if you're unhealthy inside, you're never going to be happy. And if you look after yourself whilst you're healthy, that is the best thing you can do. So I think so many people, you know, healthy, all right, and, you know, it's three nights a week, the order takeaways or whatever. You know, that's not... Eventually, it'll catch up with you, and it's pessimistic to say, but it will. It'll get you... It'll, You know, you can't keep abusing your body, and it won't get you back, because it will do. And it got me very early, and I ignored it for, for many years, and it, and, and it got me early. And I don't want other people to go into dark places before they act. And I think that's what the majority, majority of us do, don't you? If you listen to a lot of stories, a lot of people that suffer, they, they push themselves to absolute, like, suicidal thoughts and in that dark place before they have to pull themselves out. And you don't have to get there if you just stay on top of yourself. I'm not saying don't have fun, um, you know, but just, you know, try and have a few things. And I think discipline and willpower is... Um, It's a very hard thing in today's society isn't it It, uh, it's yeah i mean very you know even if you just say you love coffee but try and do a week without coffee and see and see if you can do it
1: yeah i must admit i went to caffeine free but then even still caffeine or reduced caffeine or whatever it might be but when you're doing freshly ground coffee you can still drink enough of that caffeine free stuff you'll still get caffeine in it Mm. um but it's is it the is it so one thing that's just popped into my head and it's something that I was always told by by my parents when I was younger is one mm. is prevention is better than cure which you've already said but also is it the, the law of physics? So for every action there's an equal reaction and if you apply that to things like for example not looking after yourself then at some stage it's going to come and get you back in the same way that if you push against a wall it'll push you, you know that action yeah. will push you back and I think that if people start to even if you're writing down on a daily basis, like an inventory and saying, right, what is my healthy actions for the day? And what are my unhealthy actions? And then start tracking how those unhealthy actions impact you over the long-term. I've always toyed with the idea of doing like a two week experiment on myself to completely and utterly just do everything unhealthy for two weeks. (laughs) Um, just, Just, and then document it like day by day, but, my wife I don't is, think you
0: last two weeks
1: no I don't think so I, I genuinely maybe, four maybe days yeah. four days five days but I think the what scares me is not the damage to my physical health but what scares me is the I will end up in with mental illness um yeah. just because of the way I'm living and it's whether or not I'm able to fight myself back out of it still to be able to provide
0: help to people um, yeah I mean I mean i I think people don't as well. People don't believe. I mean, they are more now, but I mean, a lot of people don't believe in the power of what you put in your body, the power of food. You know, they'd rather eat shit and take the medication than give it, you know, go, right. Okay. I'm going to stop drinking for a month. I'm going to put everything in my body. That's amazing. I'm going to drink two liters of water. I'm going to take out coffee. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to quit that for a month. I'm going to be strict. I'm going to see if I feel better. You know, because it's so much easier just to take a pill, isn't it? It's a
1: society we take,
0: live. in. And I know it takes so. You know, it takes so much effort and discipline to to change your lifestyle. Um, you know, um, but I mean, that's the only thing that worries me about this lockdown. I think you know, one and two, we kind of, you know, I think we dealt with. I think this third one's really took its toll on a lot of people, and I think. Um, I just hope that we don't get into a trap of, you know, just getting down and then eating takeaways and stuff because that fuels the downness, I think. You know, it's like anything, you know, you, you feel whatever you eat you feel, don't you? Um so yeah, it's just about balancing that in these times, I think.
1: I agree. I mean the, the one thing that fills me full of sort of confidence is um obviously we launched the get active challenge on monday to tour 30 of michelin star restaurants around the, the country virtually so wow. um the whole purpose of that was to raise ten thousand pounds. Because i want to uh, launch well i am launching on the 1st of february i've already committed it's going to cost 10 grand but it's a free text-based service so it's done by shout but it will be specifically for the hospitality industry wow so that's that- amazing whether you're in crisis or you just want someone to talk to you can text this service and 24 hours a day you've got um, trained counsellors but the point of this was is that the get active challenge was to encourage people to get up get moving in the hardest time of the year in the most stressful situation we find ourselves in as, as a yeah. as a world in, in, a, in the world ever yeah and just get people moving whilst raising money and i've been blown away with the amount of people so we've now got 75 people who are covering these three and a half thousand kilometers with us right and the responses from people about you know this is getting me moving i feel much better i'm so glad this is here and and it's that motivation yeah and it's just a small thing it could be going for a kilometer or two kilometer walk but the impact and the community that it's building is is uh, it's
0: it's, oh, it's huge. amazing i've you know like Throughout the first one and two lockdown i was i was i was okay this last one you know I'll, I'll be honest i've struggled a bit the last few weeks and um i've just i've just implemented like i go as soon as i wake up now no phone i get out the door i go for a walk i come back i have a shower and then i sit down and then i start looking at my work and then i look at my phone and then before bed at like eight o'clock at night i'll go for a walk again for about half an hour and I'll come back. And that that's like, I've implemented that because I i, I was getting, I was i was getting defeated by those demons and you've got to fight them. You know, we all have them. No mm-hmm. matter how, you know, everyone, different people have them with different severities. Um, and that's really helped me. Definitely. And I walk before, before um, I go to bed at night. It's really, really helped actually. It helps with the digestion as well, doesn't it? It helps. Yeah, just, just breathing in fresh air and, god and just thinking about god life and and just breathing it all out and you know telling yourself everything's gonna be okay and 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 these things because we the thing is right now it's just so much i think that's what causes a lot of anxiety it's just so much is unknown isn't it we just don't we haven't got any clear messages we haven't got any certainty you know and it's um that will affect people and those chefs like we are physical creatures aren't we we are creatives we we walk in a kitchen and we you know we we're in a kitchen with all these chefs in front of house people and we hug people and we connect and we're so passionate and that's just all of a sudden been stripped that's naturally going to affect everybody in a different way
1: yeah it's it's i think you've yeah, you summarized it beautifully it's it's not just the unknown, but it's also the unfamiliarity of this, this sedentary life that, you know, no one is familiar with, but I mean, hopefully having listened to this talk today, there might be some people who are inspired now to actually, rather than create menus for spring. I mean, I was chatting to Sat the other day and we were just laughing about how, whether or not asparagus will even catch the asparagus season because it's starting earlier and earlier each year. Perhaps these people now will spend a bit of time in designing themselves a three course menu that is healthy and nutritious and you know not not full of sugar or sodium or you know and perhaps spend a bit of time designing your own personal menu
0: for you and your family to provide you with a bit of creative um drive I guess yeah 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 Yeah, and if you're a chef especially you know I mean I did it yesterday and I was feeling a bit crappy and I was like right I'm getting up and I'm gonna just make something I'm gonna make something I'm gonna have an idea and I'm gonna make something and after I did it I felt so much better Think making something and that just you know put some music on and just cooking is therapy. You know, I think we've kind of you know in intense kitchens, but it's all stressful and stuff like that. It shouldn't be stressful, and we don't need to make it stressful. It can be absolutely incredible therapy. It can be mm. you know cooking and being in kitchens. I mean, I mean it is. It's so creative. It's so it's, you can switch off from everything, can't you? And just just focus on that whether you're filleting something or cutting something beautifully with a new knife or making a new pastry tuile, you know, you, you know, there's so much stuff you can do. And I think once you create – once you've got something to show that you've done something, that definitely helps mental health, I think.
1: Yeah, and if anyone's interested, there's a book uh, called Flow by a guy called Daniel Pink. Um, if you get an opportunity, it's an audio book and normal reading book, but it's called Flow, and it's about the concept of being creative and getting into what's called a flow state, where you lose track of time and you enjoy mm. – what you're doing and you're creating something is so um not just therapeutic but beneficial for your well-being and, and it's about you know using the skills that we've got now as an industry and getting into those flow states at home in an environment where you don't have the time pressures and everything else on yourself and you're creating and, and you know providing a benefit to you both physically yeah. and mentally and to others that's, and like family
0: you know that, that's amazing i haven't read i haven't read that book i have to get it but um yeah i mean yeah i'm just trying to trying to read yeah i'm trying to read more actually i'm crap at it because i've got such um i'm so I, I i'm not good at just sitting down and doing nothing <laughs> yeah um,
1: I, mean, I think that's a chef's cursor isn't
0: it yeah and i'm not good at um me and my, my, my sister runs a business with me and uh, she did like, i i am just not the person that can sit on a computer and like smash out loads of emails and write out you know, I'm just not that person. I'm not that sit-down, studious person. <laughs> Luckily, she is, so it works well. But I mean, I've had to do quite a bit in the in this in these lockdowns. But yeah, it's um, I don't. It's just not what I'm designed for. I don't think.
1: No, uh, people people learn in different ways as well, don't they? You either learn through audio, through visual, or through doing. Um, the exact terminology escapes me, but I personally like I consume probably. I don't know between a book and two books a week, but I do it through audio, and I'll do it whilst I'm walking, oh. or I'll do it whilst I'm doing stuff. And for me, the information sits in my head. But if I was to read that on page, it goes in one ear, out the other, and I'll read that page four times because I'd forget where I was. Uh, um, is there
0: an app you use for that?
1: Yeah, so I use um, Spotify for podcasts and stuff because there's a lot of decent podcasts about self development and well being. Yeah. Um, so, there's is there one any you recommend. Yeah, Diary of a CEO is quite a good one. Um sung by a guy called Stephen Bartlett, and he used to own a company called Social Chain, and he talks about his experiences of being a business owner and mental health, and just really just goes to detail on himself, um, an analysis of himself. And there's another one called um, The High Performance Podcast, and uh, they talk to people like you know Johnny Wilkinson, and Johnny Wilkinson talks yeah. about you Imagine. know the type. Yeah, and if you've read his uh, autobiography, you know, he's very similarly to sort of Chef. He's like, yeah, it consumed me. Everything was being the best rugby player that I possibly could be. But actually, you know, on seeing it from the other side of the glass, perhaps that wasn't the best move. Um, Another book, if you're looking on Audible, so one that I'm reading at the moment uh, is Jordan Peterson, although he hasn't got a great reputation because
0: he's a psychologist, but he tends to upset people. Yeah, he's quite, um, he's quite strong with his opinions, isn't he? He bases
1: his opinions on clinical studies and- yeah. I like his stuff. I find him fascinating. Um, yeah. So there's one called 12 Steps, but if anyone's looking at perhaps learning more about alternative solutions to uh, mental illness, um, the thing that got me on my journey was Johan Hari, who um, wrote a book called Lost Connections. And you can nice. get it on get it on Audible. Um, but Johan Hari was a guardian reporter. Uh, he got discredited um, for some reason, but don't let that put you off. And he wrote a book, <laughs> he wrote a book called Lost Connections. And it was about the nine lost connections that we have in society nowadays that potentially cause mental illness. So he struggled with depression much like myself from a very young age. And he was given an antibiotic, um, antibiotics, antidepressants.
0: Yeah.
1: And every time he went back to the doctor said, I'm still feeling depressed, would up his dose, up his dose, up his dose, to the point yeah. where he's, he was- you, you know, it's just becoming unsustainable and you're gaining weight and you're not feeling great about yourself and you become lethargic. Yeah. And um, so he went on a 40,000 mile journey around the world to, uh, established depression in different cultures and what the cures were for them and the way the book's written and I won't spoil it for you by telling you all the stories but in the end he came up with the conclusion um that has been backed by some science and there's a there's an approach called the human givens approach that that really echoes this but he came up with there are nine different reasons for depression and anxiety and mental illness. And two of those are biological. So they're innate and they're hereditary and they're passed down, but there are seven, seven different reasons why we might be in this situation, but how we can improve.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, even like, I mean, did it, did it say like, you know, you know, I think we spoke on the last one, didn't we, about like the gut connected to the brain and, um, Like even like supplement deficiencies can cause depression.
1: Well, yeah, it's like serotonin. You know, ninety percent of your serotonin, which is your happy hormone, it's the thing that gets released when you do exercise, is based on your gut. Mm. Um and if you think about that just for a second and think, well, actually ninety percent of my happiness is in my stomach or is produced from my stomach, Mm. then by feeding it's like putting you know, unfiltered chip fat oil into your, into your car, it will run, but it's not going to be the best and it'll sink like hell. Whereas if you're using like BP or a high quality fuel, it's going to run a lot more efficiently and for a much longer period of time. So it mm. didn't it didn't necessarily talk about diet. I mean, one of the stories was they um, we were in, uh, not India, where were they, Vietnam. And there was uh, a chap or a farmer who was working in the paddy fields and he suffered from really high levels of anxiety like really high mm. and johan went to the doctor and said oh you know how have you fixed this guy because you know this guy was now happy he said oh we um we use antidepressants he said well i didn't think there were antidepressants out here and he said yeah yeah antidepressants come i'll show you took him outside and pointed to a cow and johan was like oh there must be a that language breakdown here i don't know what's going on and the doctor explained that because the the chap had experienced um, a mine whilst working in the paddy fields, whether it was himself, I can't remember, or someone that he was close to, every time he went to work in the paddy fields, his body went into fight or flight response, stress levels built up and he started to feel really anxious and he was unable to to work efficiently and didn't feel great about himself. So they gifted him a cow, took him out of the paddy fields, changed his role completely and he became a milk Uh, like a milking the cow on a debt regular basis and his anxiety and his depression lifted because he was taking care of something and he was producing something that benefited the community and he was out of that environment where his body was feeling you know constantly stressed and on on edge
0: and yeah that that was their antidepressant you know yeah and i think people don't i mean like we said at the start didn't we like environment and um i think people people don't take it seriously enough and think like oh that can't work because we're so programmed to having to put like a, a drug in our mouth to get us better From do you, do you know what i mean like what did people do before these drugs didn't exist
1: yeah
0: how yeah. How, how you know how did if you go into like remote villages in say india how do they deal with the sickness and their health and stuff like that organic yeah. turmeric, ashwagandha, all these roots that are grown out, they're classed as medicine. And when we say food is medicine, again, people don't kind of take or believe it or whatever, but if you go back hundreds of thousands of years into ancient times, that's what they did.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that stuff now, but even back in Asia, they don't eat, like they used to eat um, moth larvae or moth balls or something to do with moths. And it yeah. was part of a staple diet. But since then... Since- the tastes have changed and now people go oh I'd never eat that that's what you yeah, know that's what our ancestors used to be but actually there was a reason why it was it was being consumed because it was naturally beneficial and it had certain things in it that were um uh yeah you know I couldn't say they were antioxidants or I couldn't say they were antibacterial whatever it might be but yeah, like I got chat to a friend of mine a guy called Dalton he owns um a vegan restaurant vegan organic restaurant in Bournemouth called Twelve Eatery Oh, nice. um, it's been written about loads and in, in a lot of the vegan guides and I didn't know much about vegan food when he opened but he taught me so much in terms of you know organic I just thought was an airy-fairy thing that you end up paying loads of money for but he was like well do you realize that all the anything that's not organic has been sprayed with pesticides pesticides kill insects and it also affects the wildlife around it yet you're choosing to put that into your body <laughs>
0: like think about the long-term effects
1: that's
0: having um no 100 100 uh, agree um and it's like people people go and i know some things are more expensive but some a lot aren't i mean you pay like 30p or 50p extra some people don't want to do it because but then they want to they'll spend 150 quid on a night out on friday on beer mm, yeah it's um, the same same with meat as well isn't it
1: like everything's injected with hormones and steroids
0: yeah and it goes back to though understanding it before you get sick to learn and have to do something about it Mm. because i was you know i was like 23 24 i was like i'm like organic no well why would i do that like don't matter like it until it affects you or you in or until you start reading about it seriously and start going hold on a minute yeah there's a lot of sense in this then you, you won't do it or you don't take it seriously no, it's definitely. I mean, I've talked about toxins before, and I think people don't understand me when I talk about toxins. I mean, I've done some videos with. I have a sauna in my bedroom, um, which helps me with pain, and I, de- I, de- I do a detox every single day. So I do like thirty minutes in there, and I sweat out. And when I talk about toxins, is like a lot of the reasons why people are so sick is the toxic overload. Eating foods like you said. For many, 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 many years, and it's like filling a bin up, filling a bin up with rubbish, and then that bin can't shut the lid anymore, and all the stuff just comes pouring out, and that's basically when people get sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The body can't. You you've got to help your body detoxify. You know, naturally we detoxify through the liver, and then when we go for a week, um, but if your detox detox pathways are blocked, that's when you start to get buildup, and then you're in trouble um so there's things like milk thistle that you can take um which is great for helping detoxify the liver mhm um do they put people, if you take if you've ever done bodybuilding and you go on
1: steroids for a period of time i think they use milk thistle afterwards to yeah. help um purge purge the body so to speak
0: yeah it's, it's again it's one of those ancient things that um's been around for ages um but yeah it's really good uh there's i mean there's there's so many things in there um that's um that's interesting i mean it's all, it's all i just find it and as well now i mean like i say, i don't i don't preach i just find it very i just find that world very you know it's my passion now you know i, re, I love learning things about health and even if you know i don't read something i'm right i'm gonna do it i'll, I'll look at it and, and go okay that worked for that person that might not work or i'll try a little bit of that or you know, and oh that may that resonates with me. Yeah, I fancy doing that or trying that or taking that. And then I see from there and I've done I, God, I could write two books on the amount of things I've done. Like, trust me, and a lot of them haven't worked and they've cost a lot of money. So I know how that feels. Um and yeah, just not everything works for, for every person. You've just gotta be patient and try new things, but the problem is now I think there's so much stuff on social media, isn't there? Like these influences going, oh, buy this drink, this ketone drink or whatever. And they don't yeah. know anything about health. They don't know what's in it or whatever. But because this model's got it and her body is like amazing, or whatever, oh, I want to look like that. I'm going to buy this drink. Oh, so, don't, don't even get me <laughs> started. But, like. but, but as you'll know, sometimes how you look doesn't show how you feel. So a lot of these people that look incredible, sometimes they're not actually healthy inside. Hmm.
1: It's, it's like fat stripping to become a bodybuilder. Like
0: once you've bolted up. Oh God, they're the most unhealthy. I mean, I've got a mate actually and I always buddy message him. I mean, if you look, I'll send you pictures after on Instagram. Again, but uh, <laughs> he's uh, completely, we I always take this out of him. But he's so like, he loves it. He's so obsessed with bodybuilding and that. And he's got like, he does all these competitions and his legs are bulging out and his six packs bulging out. And he does like, I think he got like silver in the world championships last year. I mm-hmm. do the stuff he's eating on his Instagram to keep him going, like you know, like a whole box of cereal, like Coco Pops <laughs> and stuff. And I messaged him like, "No, mate," he's like, "I need it, I need it." And um, yeah, it's super interesting what people. Uh, I mean, he does eat a lot of healthy stuff as well, but he eats he eats a lot of sugar because he said he's you know he his body needs it for the for the lift, you know.
1: For the lift, well, yeah, it's all about. But this is the thing that gets me about diet things is like. Instagram so oh, fucking social media honestly I swear to god everyone and uh, we talk a lot to to college students so Adam Simmons and I have trained I mean over 200 students in the last 2 weeks on the subject of mental health and one thing that I say to them is don't believe everything you see on social media because everyone and and I think it's probably worse well, it's getting worse for blokes as as you know without um, generalizing but you know women especially they look on that and go well my ass doesn't look like that i don't look like kim kardashian but then it's all filters and falsities and diets Mm. you know there's so many people out there selling diet plans
0: but the concept is so basic And i haven't even got any education on it no no exactly they've just dressed it up well they've marketed it
1: well but the concept is burn more than you eat you know reduce your reduce your heavy carbs and your high sugar intake because what happens to that if you don't burn it it just turns to fat and you know remain active and exercise your heart needs to pump in order to be able to produce your calories you can dress it up in a hundred different ways
0: but the concept is so simple
1: Yeah, yeah i mean
0: i think i've said this a few times i really feel for the younger generation like the 19 20 year olds with social media and stuff because um, if we struggle with it as 30 year old men and women, um, they must, you know, you know, cause it's addictive, isn't it? Um, um, then, um, yeah, they, it must be really hard for them. It must be really hard for them.
1: They don't know any better. Like we at least we had a life before all of that. I, I always
0: say this to my sister. Yeah, we had like we had the Nokia thirty-two tens when we were fifteen, didn't we? Yeah,
1: A motorola, one of the old motorolas with yeah. the screw tops, you know, the bricks.
0: One of the one of the lifty ones. The ones <laughs> you lift up the top. And we yeah. could play on like we we play on snake, wouldn't we? And um and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, yeah I'm I am. Am so grateful for that. I mean, my cousin's like god, like nine and he's got a brand new iPhone and stuff. And he ran me the other day like, oh, I was on my iPhone six hours yesterday. Six hours.
1: I saw a a stat recently about um, social media use uh, with the generation, the younger generation now, and they spend... Oh, God. I I don't want to know. (laughs) Oh, mate. When you look at it in comparison to things like sleeping or eating, it's like the... Out of a list of 10 different things, social media use is the third biggest, um, third biggest use of time at this moment. I say use of time, waste of time. Um, And it sounds like I'm hating, but there are some good stuff on social media. You know, if you can get inspired or inspires you to change the way you live your life or the, you know, the ability to learn and to develop yourself and invest in yourself, then it's good.
0: But, um, you know, if if yeah, be clever. Who you follow and stuff. A lot of people I follow are like super positive people, like um, self development people, like Tony Robbins, Robinson, Jody Spence, all these people. That you look at the video and you're like, "Wow, okay, yeah, I want to try that. I w- I'll try that meditation tonight or whatever." Or that motivation really helped me mentally
1: yeah and as uh, you know what? i've i've often thought about whether or not i start to change the direction of the podcast or at least provide it with an additional level which is like inspiration because i often get asked you know how did i come about setting up the Burnt chef project and it wasn't the hardest thing for me personally and it's like yourself probably with the business is committing and taking action because you oh, doubt yes. yourself and you're afraid to put yourself above that parapet because you know no. of what might come back but once it's you... the devil it's the devil oh mate isn't it just because and again i i mean i'm going off on a tangent and we've already been talking for an hour and a half but for those who are still <laughs> listening now but like you can
0: you can edit it can't you?
1: <laughs> i I don't need to I i don't i generally don't i don't feel like i have to but i think ah. that you know we're taught at such an early age do what your parents tell you go to school do what school tells you if you're not got good grades you're not going to make anything from your life you know invest yeah save your money because you know one day you might need those savings but we are taught as a culture to follow rules and i don't mean about like you know the laws are there for a reason it's to protect the greater good of society and stop harm from harming people but i think that once you learn that not everything you've always been told is right There's so many opportunities and I mean, look at myself, I gave up work four months ago to help an entire community of people across the world. And I feel like I never, I never ever thought that a year ago, this was even capable. I didn't think I was even, I was able to do this, but I think you just, if you spend time on developing yourself on learning and you have something that you feel passionate for or want to do, then fucking do it.
0: Yeah, because definitely.
1: The only person stopping
0: you is you. Yeah, there is. And you will, you know, I mean, I think I read something and I think it was like Cristiano Ronaldo or something, but he was saying, like, whatever you do in life, you're going to get judged anyway. So, you know, if you do what you want to do and you have a few haters, the other people that talk about it so what? Like, and if they leave, then they're not meant to be on your journey. I've realized, like, you know, with my massive transition in my life, I had to you know, I, I had to change the direction of my social Like, I couldn't go out anymore getting drunk on a Saturday night or, or meet up in the pub on Sunday. And I had to, you know, I had to change my circle and I lost some people and I gained some amazing people too. And the people that have stuck with me have stuck with me and, you know, I've got some incredible close friends. And then as I've followed my path, my truth and what I believe in and how I want to live my life, I have... Met and some incredible people just come in, they just naturally come in. You don't need to force anything, you don't need to try and be anyone else. The right people will, that are meant for you will come to you if you follow and pursue your journey.
1: So, uh, again, this gets us onto another subject, and I won't go down this rabbit hole, but the universe has a way of gravitating towards you, and it's like I said on a previous podcast. like if you feel bad about yourself and you feel depressed you can guarantee the first thing that will happen is when you step out that door is something will happen to you you'll get splashed by that bus
0: <laughs> you'll get
1: you'll step in that dog poo you know oh, god and no. and we've all been there i mean when i was i mean there's times in my periods of life where you know i've been quite heavily depressed and everything happened to me it was you know everyone else's fault and i couldn't do right for doing wrong but when it snowballs the opposite direction it 's amazing that the the positive impact it has and the people that suddenly grab you know that fate would have it that put put you in your path and the opportunities that arise and and i 'm not saying that, that that means that everyone's just stop being anxious or depressed and suddenly change their yes, life around because no. it does it does take work and it as you know as we 've discussed today it takes trying different things, but the the universe has a way of <laughs> Working
0: oh, with you, or working with against you, a hundred percent. I like it, like you just said. Um, some people, you know, are struggling that bad. They just can't do it, or they can't see the light. Um, and I do, I, I totally get that. I totally understand that. And you know, but you, you know, do it in your try and do it in your own time. And if you just can, just do little steps. Mm-hmm. Start drawing. You know, if you so your start drawing where you want to be in a year or six months. Or write it down it. You know two things that you want to do that day um and 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 then be you know thank yourself for it and i think gratitude's huge as well i used to take so much stuff for granted i used to moan about so much crappy little stuff Mm. i mean if you have your health and you're happy and you have a warm bed at night be grateful man
1: yeah because you haven't you haven't lived a life that hasn't had those luxuries and and again it's easy said than done because it's a matter of perception but it's important to something i've learned recently is your internal monologue would you speak to your best mate like you speak to yourself and mm. if you i mean a lot of us would be out there going no i wouldn't ever say the things i say to myself to, to my best mate because that's just harsh but like i think if anyone's in the situation be like well how do i change that talk to yourself like you're not yourself do you know what i mean it says what would you say to yourself if, if you weren't you and would you give yourself a, a would you cut yourself a bit of a break and say, I didn't manage to achieve that today, but it's all right, we'll try again tomorrow, mate. Like let's
0: let's go again.
1: As opposed yeah. to going, you know, this
0: internal it is, monologue. I mean, depending on how strong your demons are and those thoughts that come into your head. I mean, some people it's just so hard to do that, isn't it? I mean mm. I found a good thing is like putting up putting up things in your room, um, either above your bed or like as soon as you wake up you see it. And you see, just put little things up there, like you know, tell yourself you're the best. Tell yourself that you're you're amazing. Tell yourself, oh, why should we we be scared of that? Whatever you're, whatever you do for your job, if you're a pastry chef, write on the wall, I am the best pastry chef possible. I am going to be the best pastry chef possible. Yeah, and that just feeds yourself, you know. And it is the power of of the mind, and then it does help you get into there. And and you know, people that I've got there, they've been those people before. I think it's just that belief that you can be that person if you want to be that person.
1: It's the subconscious motivators that people, you know, you you might think that all these positive posters and affirmations don't do anything, but it, the mind. Oh my God, I've I've read so many studies both on on like how the brain changes when you have a mental illness and stuff, but the mind is such a powerful tool that if you can utilize just these small tips like you know like we discussed when we were with tom hopper and sap and -hmm. it's something i still do now is i write down one or two things i want to achieve in my life i put it in my drawer and then i take it back out again and write down at the end and every single day it changes and it could be like solving world hunger it could be like i don't know writing a mental health policy and i don't need to do anything with it but writing it down and i look back over the last two years and there's things I've written in there that were so far fetched back then, but they've been
0: achieved. You know? Yeah. And it's. Yeah, ticking something off is definitely an amazing feeling, isn't it? When you've done something. Self achievement. Because... Yeah, I think one, one last thing, opposite to that, which I've started doing, is write down the things that are in your brain that you want to get rid of, right? Write them down, fold them up in a piece of paper, and then burn them and watch them burn. You have to do it outside or just throw yeah. them in your fire. So yeah, if you've yeah. got the, like, this thing that's like keeping bothering you, like I'm crap at this or whatever, write it down and throw it away. That's helped a lot for me.
1: Yeah. Um, I underestimated the power of uh, writing things down. I was always a digital guy and I you know, put them on emails and stuff, which also it also works. But um, I've actually, I was inspired. Someone gave me um, a journal recently. It's just like top priorities, You know what went well, what didn't go well. And I started to use it and just the writing down is so <clears throat> not just cathartic, but it's it's productive. I've actually ordered, um, I've called them mise-en-journals. I've ordered a load of blank burnt chef journals with tips in there just so that, because I do think that the power of writing things down and whether you're disposing of bad things or keeping good things, I think the power of that, just that action has such mm. a positive effect on the brain. Um, it, it's something that needs to be explored further, I think. Definitely. Okay, one last question. On. I, I ask all, all my guests and I'll let you go. Um, but, and I think you've covered a lot of this already, but I'm just <laughs> intrigued about your answer is. If you were to know or to provide just a, some simple advice to an 18 year old version of yourself. So if you knew now or knew then, but what you know now, what would you say to yourself?
0: Oh God, 18. And in, in just in why
1: just yeah i mean things that you've learned i mean as i say we've covered a lot of it already but just to summarize it like things that you know now that perhaps would have changed the things that you did or thought back then
0: um okay this is yeah very if you if you don't feel well stop stop and talk to somebody get help don't just power through especially you know especially um Men, which more do it more than women. I think women are more, which is a great thing. They're more open to like being emotional or whatever. But if you feel shit, stop. Don't carry on because it'll just get you two years later. So it's pointless. That's that's the most
1: hard hitting, and I thought Sat had it last week, but I think you've just taken over. I think that that's the most hard hitting and to the point um, response
0: I think I've had some yeah it. It, it's just yeah it's personal it's 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 yeah i I don't want anyone to to suffer or put their body through stuff that i have so that's why what a
1: great point to finish on kirk mate thank you ever so much for your time and for being so open and, and talking about your journey and i look forward to learning more about things that could potentially benefit not just physical but mental well being yeah yeah yeah
0: we should, we should do like an instagram live or something and we can talk we could we could write down like five things that we could help people every week or something and um that could be beneficial i don't know but yeah i'm open to anything you need any help just uh, shout i'm always here and i love helping others and sharing knowledge so um yeah and it's amazing what you're doing so you should be super super proud man
1: thank you i'm on far again ego i'm far from done uh, I'm far from my from my goal but um i appreciate i'm you know i'm, I'm continually humbled and surprised by the response that i get so i think yeah. the instagram live would be a good thing um do you know what? i haven't done them since lockdown one i was thinking about that this morning you remember that instagram lives used to be a thing but yeah. i think i think that's that's important it'll be nice to be able to open up a q a as well for people who might have some questions specifically for you yeah um, definitely so let's we'll get it booked in but Kirk,
0: thank you ever so much, mate, and uh, speak to you soon. Yeah,
1: take care. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye. Thanks uh, to Kirk for joining us. It was great to be able to sit and listen to his story and also his tips on being resilient and learning to adapt and overcome quite tough adversities. Join us next week as we meet another guest and we talk to them openly about well-being and mental health within the industry. Apologies for the sound quality on this one. Don't know what happened, but uh, we'll make sure they're better in future. Cheers, take care, and see you soon.